One paper that came out in 2014, um, this is a paper commissioned by WHO, looked at definitions and they commented that the governance function is still to many public health practitioners and to policy makers and managers, it's still an elusive concept. They commented on the, the conceptual chaos across many papers and academic papers. Many people still seeing this as being quite ambiguous, particularly talking about the international public health community and investors in public health. Welcome back, listeners, to the Advancing Health Systems podcast. My name is Kirby Kreider. I'm your host. I'm part of the HFG project. That's the Health Finance and Governance Project. And you can learn more about the project in episode zero in the same podcast feed. This is the final episode of the mini-series, and today we're going to focus on health governance. HFG contributed to a webinar organized by the World Health Organization, or WHO, Health Systems Governance Collaborative. We'll be playing clips from that webinar throughout this episode. And the first clip that you heard was of Bob Fryett, the HFG project director, on that webinar. And what he was talking about was the conceptual confusion surrounding the topic of governance. Governance is a difficult thing to confine to a single definition. This is because there are multiple components to governance, like government authorities, institutions, and accountability mechanisms. And the fact that governance plays a role at all levels of the health system, from the central level all the way down to the community level. It's not really surprising then that we can find a lot of different definitions of how governance factors into health system performance. But despite this conceptual confusion, there is agreement and there is evidence that governance is meaningful for health system strengthening and for improving health outcomes. Here's Bob again with what we know. Spending is twice as effective in improving under five mortality and increasing life expectancy when there is higher quality of governance in the health sector. We know that international development assistance, what we do through HFG, its effectiveness is dependent on the quality of of institutions and policies which are central to governance. We know that strong public financial management reduces corruption and it improves the likelihood that increasing public health spending actually improves health outcomes. And we know that health service providers Um, that are more accountable to their local communities lead to improved health outcomes. Even while we now have this growing body of evidence on the impact of good governance on health systems, people still seem to be struggling with how to conceptualize it. It seems to be one of those things that people acknowledge as important, but they don't always know how to influence it. Here's a clip from Sarah Bennett speaking on the same World Health Organization webinar on why the governance agenda has progressed a little bit less, maybe, than other aspects of health systems. Sara is the team lead for health systems research on the HFG project and is an associate professor at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health in the school's health systems program. Here's Sara. So I think too frequently when we're gathered together to talk about health systems, governance is essentially the elephant in the room, the thing that everyone is aware of, and yet we don't necessarily talk as directly about as may be needed. And that, you know, working with students at Johns Hopkins and I teach a health systems class, we, uh, we go through different functions of the health system. And when it comes to governance, I think there's often a sort of a clicking in people's head that this underlies so many of the different aspects of health systems, and yet perhaps is not directly discussed. 
And instead, we sit around the table talking maybe about performance-based payment for providers or about how we can move towards universal health coverage. And yet we're thinking, well, our financial management system is too weak to do that. Or maybe we have concerns about how uh, effective regulation can be, and we're aware of issues of corruption and graft within the regulatory agencies, or indeed amongst other stakeholders in the health system. Or sometimes we're concerned about health sector accountability and the fact that healthcare providers or health sector managers are not held accountable, and accordingly, it's really difficult to move services along. So I think sort of the starting point was really, well, how do we help to generate a more open conversation about governance and recognize that it's threaded through so much of what we do and try to work on in health systems. So governance is something that we're aware of and that we recognize when it's done well, but we don't talk about it because it's so difficult to address. Here's Sarah again with some of the reasons why. So I thought it would be worthwhile spending just a minute or two trying to unpack why we don't more frequently act upon governance concerns, but maybe keep them silent. Governance is often perceived as messy, diffuse, and conceptually difficult. Bob talked quite a lot about evidence, and and I, I think that this is a sort of glass half empty, half full, in the sense that there are some interventions around governance and some aspects of governance where we really do have strong evidence to support action in this area. One of the really difficult things is that we still lack information sometimes about how do we take those interventions that appear to be effective in a particular context and how do we um, implement them in different contexts? What does that implementation process look like? And how do we scale up some of these apparently effective interventions? I go back to the paper by Bjorkman and Svensson, which was looking at um, community-based monitoring in Uganda and showed that that particular intervention in that particular context had a really um, substantial effect on childhood um, mortality. But then when you think, well, how feasible is it to scale up that intervention across Uganda? How might the intervention need to be adapted to different contexts? And how might we need to tweak the implementation process? And I think that that's really where the challenges lie. And if you look at any of the, the systematic reviews that have been done in this space, they find at scale, Governance interventions seem to have a lot more mixed effects than when we're doing them in sort of randomized cluster control trials. So I think that there still is a need for further evidence, but it's not about can these interventions be effective, it's about how do we adapt them to context and how do we scale. The takeaway for me from Sara's comments were that we have evidence of specific interventions that generally work. But the tricky part is adapting them to context and scaling them up. And that's where I think you as our audience, as development practitioners, can really bring your expertise to this conversation. I'd like to bring us to an example now. In our health financing work on the HFG project, governance work is also often at play. Whether that's in helping to develop health sector policies or building institutional capacity or ensuring that stakeholders are involved. I'd like to now play a clip from the HFG end of project event back in May 2018, in which we had a panel of chiefs of party talk about the integration of health finance and governance. Here's Ted Hammett, the HFG chief of party in Vietnam. So HFG Vietnam integrated financing and governance to assist the government of Vietnam in making a successful transition 
of its HIV response from one funded predominantly by international donors to one operated and funded by, by the government itself. And this involved assistance with domestic resource mobilization, changes to institutional arrangements, and also changes to some important legal and policy frameworks, all of which are key uh, governance elements. We assisted the government of Vietnam to solidify its initial decision to use social health insurance as the primary financing mechanism for the transition to HIV response by developing evidence of the feasibility and affordability of social health insurance as a primary financing mechanism. We did this in several ways by developing liability estimates for HIV services under social health insurance, developing a stepwise plan for integrating the largely donor-funded outpatient clinics into the public health and social health insurance systems, and provided options for centralized ARV drug procurement. For the remainder of the project, uh, we assisted the government of Vietnam, key government agencies, uh, with various elements of the transition, and in particular, uh, working on the uh, legal basis for a transparent and centralized system of antiretroviral drug procurement, and also the, the legal basis for providing subsidies for premiums and co-payments under the social health insurance scheme for people living with HIV. What Ted is describing in Vietnam wraps up a couple of the topics that we've talked about throughout this miniseries, including domestic resource mobilization and health insurance. And I think it illustrates how governance is central to all aspects of health system strengthening. Let's hear from Ted again as he describes one specific example and then the success that they've had with this approach. One key example where we took a governance lens to a, an important aspect of the, uh, the transition, namely the uh, integration of outpatient clinics into the public health system and the social health insurance scheme. At the outset, a challenge to this was a requirement under the social health insurance law, which said that only curative services can be covered under social health insurance. Preventive services are not allowed to be covered. The donor-funded outpatient clinics had been established largely as single-function facilities within the preventive medicine system of Vietnam, meaning that they could not, in that situation, be covered by social health insurance. HFG Vietnam worked with the central level agencies as well as with in nine provinces to help make the transition so that as these facilities were integrated into the public health system, they could be covered by social health insurance. Some had to convert from single function to multiple function so that they could qualify. District level uh, health centers, for example, had to be merged with district hospitals that already had social health insurance contracts. And in a minority of cases where it, would, it was not possible for various reasons for this facility to, to qualify for social health insurance contracts, we worked with facilities to assess their patient load and to help them figure out the best ways to transfer those patients, the best places to transfer those patients so that they could be covered. 
We've helped the government make great progress, I think. By February of 2018, more than 70% of the almost 120 facilities in our nine provinces had been fully integrated into the social health insurance system. And we expect that by the end of September, when HFG ends, we will have helped the provinces to achieve 100% integration of all of their facilities. There were a lot of things in Ted's example. And I think that illustrates how governance is complex work, and there's a lot of different interventions and a lot of different things at play. But I hope it gives you a better idea of what this looks like in action. You might be asking yourself now, what is the call to action from this episode? What can you really take away from this? And I'd like to bring Sara back because she had some great advice for things that we can all do to improve governance in the projects that we work on. Here's Sara. Firstly, I think we need to be both strategic and realistic in terms of how we intervene in terms of, of governance. I think we need to think more about doable and discrete interventions. What are good starting points for addressing governance? And in particular, what are the entry points that may lead to sustained improvements in governance? The sort of underlying thinking is that sometimes we intervene in a way that is controversial, that may disrupt existing systems. And that may be absolutely necessary, but if we're not careful, it can also close down the space. We can get reactions very quickly that simply prevent, you know, powerful actors may intervene to stop further progression on the governance agenda. So I think we need to think carefully about you know, what are the entry points that may gain support amongst key stakeholders and may lead to sustained improvements in governance, rather than being a, a flash in the pan, something that occurs, is effective, but gets closed down shortly afterwards. I also think we need to think more and analyze more um, about disruptive innovations and experiment with them. We need to do more and, and, and get out there and be active and see what the consequences are. But I'm interested in particular in disruptive innovations. And I'll give just one example coming from mHealth or sort of more broadly, how we can use um, information and communication technologies within health systems. And I think ICTs can be particularly powerful because they can shift power dynamics by making information more publicly available to different groups. So for example, if you think about call-in centers or you know, ways that you, where citizens can perhaps bypass frontline healthcare providers to get other sources of advice. That immediately shifts the power dynamic between the different stakeholders within the health system. I think the internet can also be really important in terms of providing protection to the anonymity of whistleblowers. So there's a lot of interest, I think, right now in how can we use the internet to get clients within the health system to uh, report incidences of abuse or bad behavior. That brings an awful lot of questions with it, but I think that its disruptive power is worth exploring further. Thirdly, I think it would be good to talk about, about how we can build coalitions for governance reform. Jonathan Fox, as many of you will be aware, talks about the importance of combining both voice and teeth. And I think often we have incidences of voice where we try to give citizens the ability to raise their voice, to articulate concerns about the health system. But if we don't also match that voice with teeth in terms of having more powerful stakeholders within the health system, be able to support actions to address the voice, to address the concerns of citizens. And then I think that the possibility that citizens become disillusioned and, and disempowered. 
So I think we need to think about how we can build coalitions. Where do we get the support from more powerful actors within the health system to really build coalitions for governance reform and to support citizen voice? And finally, although there is clearly very strong evidence about the potential effectiveness of some of these interventions, I think that we need to continue to document what works and to learn from experience. Because I think one of the biggest challenges about working in this space, and I suspect my comments so far have been um, you know, quite clear on this point, is that although we know things have the potential to be effective, we're not always very good at adapting them to particular contexts and taking them to scale. I hope that advice is useful for you no matter which sector you work in. And with that, I'd like to close the episode and close the mini-series. So thank you again for sticking with us all the way through episode four of this podcast mini-series. It's been a real delight to be broadcasting out to you. The HFG project is ending, but all of the learning briefs, all of the resources, all of the research that has been done will live on on the HFG project webpage. So I encourage you to check that out. This podcast mini-series as well will stay posted to SoundCloud. We're not taking it down anytime soon. You can find it in Apple iTunes, on the Stitcher app, or wherever you get your podcasts, or on the SoundCloud page. And a final special thanks to USAID for funding the HFG project, for APT Associates for leading the HFG project. A thanks also to the WHO World Health Organization Health System Governance Collaborative for putting on the webinar that we use clips from in this episode. And a thank you to Jen Leopold, who's the HFG Director for Communications and Knowledge Management and her team. Jen was an integral part of every single episode behind the scenes. And also a thank you to all of the wonderful experts and voices that we were able to bring in from the HFG project and from our partners. There's too many to name, but thank you all. And thanks to Blue Dot Sessions for our theme music. Good luck and may you do great work.